Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Wonderful to have everybody and to see the family of the Lord come together. The, the, the body of Christ is probably the most important entity in the earth today and I believe all of God's purposes attended with the entirety of the earth flow in and through the body of Christ and sometimes is dependent upon the state of that body. We want to develop a very strong culture of the body of Christ here in Zion. This is Zion. This is the place of the, the gathering of the Lord's body and a body thou hast prepared for me, Jesus said. He had a physical body, that's his flesh. That died on Calvary. The third day, God raised it from the dead. But he, he said to his church, now you are my body yeah. in the earth today. The body of Christ is a multi-faceted, uh, many-membered entity in the, in the earth today. And it demands corporality, it demands corporate mentality, it demands a corporate thinking. So we don't think of ourselves in isolation to anybody else. But we are, we are communal in our thinking. And I want to encourage us, never ever lose the appreciation and the esteem that you accord one to the other. I exist because of you. Cannot exist apart from you. Because I singularly don't express the entirety of the body. I need you and we need each other to fully express the fullness of the body of Christ to the earth today. Amen. And I want to encourage us, body thinking, body thinking, must grip the church of God. Okay? Not individualistic, not isolationist, not personal, not selfish. We've got to think corporately. You've got to, goats are isolationist. Sheep flock. Sheep of a flock mentality. And we are not called the goats of God. We are called the sheep of God, right? right? Goats are browsers. Drift away from the oversight of the shepherd. But sheep by nature find security, safety, immunity within the culture of a flock in a fold, headed by a shepherd whose voice they know and a voice of another they do not listen to. Amen? So I want to encourage us. This is the day of corporality. Everyone say, this is the day of corporality. Right? And um, it's not just corporality here in our locality. Not just, don't just think corporately as in, I need to be part of a house like this and part of a group. I need to flock with other sheep. Even this house, us as a singular entity, needs to be corporately minded in terms of what God is doing in the church in Durban, in and through other households of faith. Yeah. So we're not some limb, an appendage, loosely joined to the purposes of God in terms of what's happening in our geography. Okay? These things you must, you must become more and more aware of. I had uh, two Skype Bible studies yesterday, one with the Canadians and one with the Trinidadians. And it's marvelous to see the hunger and the thirst. Marvelous to see the passion. And it's marvelous to see, it was amazing, we did the session on having sight of and tracking the development of your spiritual father. And from that study, just a whole well of things unearthed. And they there began to see how that they're joining to us here in Durban has specific import for them in terms of what God has called them to do there. Okay? And they feel so thoroughly connected. It's amazing. We've been Skyping uh, for a while now on Saturday afternoons with the group. And the joining has intensified at an alarming rate in my mind just over the past few weeks. I'm saying this to say this. That you are not loosely joined to me only. You have a brotherhood that is scattered throughout the entire earth. Yeah. Earlier I Skyped with the Canadians and uh, there too our branches are running over the wall. Yeah. Remember I did this last week? The prophecy on Joseph is you will be a fruitful bough and your branches will run over the wall. Your impact will be way beyond your present locality. Yeah. 
Amen. And so I really, really want to encourage you to come up to speed in terms of your disposition, your faithfulness, the intensity of your spirit, the focusedness of your heart and your mind on doing the Lord's will in the earth today. The Lord has led me to speak on the subject of favor this morning. We have come through several sessions on the topic of the grace of God. I've dealt thoroughly with defining grace at length, how grace is communicated via the word of the Lord in and through an apostolic patriarchal father to whom you are related. And that grace will come to you to do two things. It will mature you in your sonship identity in Christ. In Paul's language, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. So grace makes you who you are. Grace configures sonship. But he also said, I work, yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I am what I am by grace, and I work, yet not I, but the grace of God. Grace does two things. Grace makes you who you, who you are, and grace empowers you to do what God has called you to do. So when you receive that grace, your sonship identity in Christ will be matured, and you will be empowered to do purpose. For that to effectively happen, you need to be positioned in a specific relationship, which we call father and son. The most ideal flow of the grace of God from one person excuse me, to the other takes place within a specific quality of relationship called fathering and sonship. So Paul would say to his son Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace to you, my son. To the Philippians also, he spoke in intensely endearing terms to them. And he said to them in Philippians chapter 1, you have been partakers of grace with me. Ephesians 3, 2, he said to the whole uh, church and in the city of Ephesians, undoubtedly you have heard of the grace of God given to me for you. Note, given to me for you. If you want that caliber of apostolic grace, you have to embrace me. Every man needs a man. Every man needs an oversight. Every man needs to some sense of accountability to another. For God has vested grace in that person meant with you as its destination in mind. Okay? And so that economy of father and son is the most ideal context for the maximum grace transfer and download to happen. When we discuss that, I said your heart must be togged. Both father and son must be turned, their hearts must be turned one to the other. Both hearts have got to be open and both hearts have got to be given one to the other. If ever the son in particular is going to maximize the fullest potential grace download that God has intended for that son to have. Right? It's all well to be the recipient of grace, to bless you, to empower you, to form Christ in you. That's good and well. But many spiritual sons don't go to the next level, which I think is purpose. I work, yet not I, but the grace of God. In the father-son wineskin, watch. Father, spiritual father, or your leader over you, spiritual son. The grace of God vests in him, and when he, when he speaks the word to you, grace transfer happens via the speaking forth of the word of the Lord. That will bless you, make you, configure you, mature you into the fullness of the image of the stature that belongs to Christ. But Paul also said, I work, yet not I, but by grace. Attendant with father, son is purpose. Everyone say purpose. So Paul would say to his son Timothy, you have known my TCP. Remember TCP? You have known my teaching. You have known my conduct. And you have known my purpose. Everyone say TCP. Remember, I've taught you talk now TCP, right? You said, you've known my, perp my teaching, you've known my conduct, and you've known my purpose. Then he says, my love, my perseverance, my sufferings, everything that happened to me at Lystra and Iconium. He lists a whole list. But in the first three, he says, number one, what must a spiritual son know about his spiritual father? Number first and foremost, must know his teachings. Yeah? Must know his word. Not so? Must know his doctrine. Then he says, you've known my conduct, my manner of life. Paul knew, his, 
Paul knew of Paul's ways, his hodos in the spirit, right? right? But many, very few sons will migrate from simply knowing the doctrine, right? You know your father's conduct matches what he teaches, the first two levels. So he's not teaching something disconnected to, to how he lives. His life is the authorization for his speech. He doesn't speak beyond his personal discipline. Yeah? Is that true? Come on, talk to me, church. Yeah? So everyone say, you've known my teaching. Come on, talk to me. You've known my conduct. But here's the challenge. Too few sons are knowing purpose. Paul said to Timothy, you were not only fay with all the CDs on that table. You didn't only fully assimilate the doctrine. And you've not only corroborated what you've heard with all my teachings by validating that by checking my lifestyle out. Timothy, you positioned yourself with me in pushing the purpose of God attached to me. So he would say to the Philippians, I want to send my son Timothy to you. I have no one like-minded, equally sold, of kindred spirit. We will naturally care for you, Philippians. For everybody else, Paul says, is seeking their own, but not Timothy. And you know he's proven worth. Quoting Philippians chapter 2, right? Paul is saying this about his son Timothy to a whole group. He says about Timothy to the group, you know him. And he, he makes this statement. He says, like he served with me, like a son serving his father. He serves with me when he serves me. What is the statement? Like a son serving his father, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. What is that? That is when a son migrates from not just enjoying the doctrine, the lifestyle of his father. That's when the son says, now I'm ready to push purpose. I am not just in relationship with you, Randolph. To be the recipient of all your teachings, be blessed, and have a good private life. Now I position myself close to you. Whatever you do, purpose on your heart, I'm right there, full shoulders behind the plow. I'm going to push. I'm going to facilitate. I'm going to fast track things. When you see me walk through those doors, like one of David's men, you will see strong support. Not just support. People are struggling with support. Now the requirement is not just support. Now the requirement is strong support. The men came to David in the stronghold of Ziglag from the tribe of Benjamin and Judah. And it says, and they gave David strong support. Ask your neighbor, what kind of a support are you? (laughs) Are you here just for T, for C, or for P? You know, TCP is a medication. Eh? What they use it for? I think it's for your stomach or your throat. What's it for? Throat, eh? I remember growing up, my, my mom used to give us that, TCP. Right? You've got to take the whole full TCP. Come on, who's, who wants to enlist for purpose? Let me see your hands. You know, when I, when I think of my relationship with Pastor Thamo, I'm saying I just don't want to be the recipient of your doctrine only. I'm just going to just support. I can see in your conduct and lifestyle, everything you teach matches. What is on your heart for the nations? I'm going to get fully behind that. I'm not just come to be parasitically gleaning off you with only me, myself, and I and my family in mind to be primary benefits of your grace. What is on your heart for the nations? The reason why I speak like this, you love, you're going to love this topic we're about to explore. Everyone say favor. You tell people, I am highly favored and I am blessed. I have discovered, you know, I've done an intense study. I thought we'll do one session on favor. Looks like it'll become a mini-series. I have discovered the, the persons, you do an intense study of this in the scripture, the persons enjoying the most favor from God in the scriptures are those who are purpose-oriented. Those who are bent on doing something. The Greek word charis, charis, 
translated grace in the New Testament means the following. That which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, everyone say favor, favor, acceptance, for kindness granted or desired, benefit, thanks, or even gratitude. I love that in the definition, this is by Strong's, the Greek scholar. He defined it like this. And when we did session one in the series, when we defined grace, remember, I alluded to this definition. Strong's and others, other Greek scholars, when they define charis, they define grace not in terms of its essence, but in terms of its effects. What it will do in the life once you become the recipient of it. When we did session one, I defined grace like this. Grace is, what is grace? It's not simply unmerited favor. Grace is the compositional makeup of God as a spirit being. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. All of God is spirit. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Spirit is unseen. Spirit is invisible. But the invisibility of spirit doesn't mean that it's insubstantial. For something not to be seen doesn't make it less weighty. Because when God, like if a spirit comes into this room now, the Holy Spirit, let's say, who is here right now, you can't see him. But his invisibility doesn't mean he's got no substance. The invisibility of things in spirit doesn't make them insubstantial. In fact, the opposite is true. Because it's invisible means most times it's more real than what you perceive reality to be. Because we are so comfortable with the known world, what we see, feel, touch, interact with. But the things which are unseen are eternal, the scripture says. And the things which are seen are, are temporal. So if, watch, God is spirit and grace is the constituent, compositional makeup of God as a spirit being. It's the substance comprising things as spirit. That is what grace is. Right? That comes to you via the word of the Lord when it does. So you have received grace. The moment you got saved, at that point of your initial salvation, it was unmerited in the sense that you could not rely on anything you could do to earn it. So you entered into it. God was gracious and kind, merciful to you, mercy being the first application of grace, and you got saved. Now that you're in the kingdom, the Bible says you must now do what? You must grow in grace. Not so? You must grow. Your growth in grace will have everything to do then with your adopting certain behaviors, mentalities, or dispositions within your person that qualify you to go to the next level of grace. I don't want to go to the details, okay? I think we've done more than now 30 sessions on this, right? There are three CDs on the table if you want to get everything I taught on grace. Now, five. Five parts. Grace A, B, C, D, E. On the table, you will see it marked Grace A, B, C, and D. Five distinct CDs. In recent times, we did eight sessions on mastering humility. Remember? We did seven sessions on dealing with pride. We did five sessions on the issue of submission. Humility and submission are dispositions that attract grace, but pride is a disposition that repels grace. God gives grace to the humble. So then, and there are many other mentalities, dispositions we must adopt to increase in the grace. But listen carefully. What I want to start to do now in our discussion, and this will be for the rest of the year into next year. What I want to start to speak about is the effects of this grace. When, it, when we operate, what can we hope to see in our lives? Right? What will be the obvious outward signs, okay? One of those signs will be favor. Say it with me, favor. When you read the Greek New Testament, 
or the Hebrew Old Testament, and you come across the word favor, 99.9% of the time, it's equivalent to the Greek word charis, translated grace, or the Old Testament hen or chin, translated grace. So favor and grace are synonymous. But when I use the word favor as opposed to grace, I use the word favor to reference the effect of the reception of that grace. I receive grace in its essence, which is the nature of God. Once received, it's going to have an effect outwardly in my life. I'm suggesting to us this morning, one of those ways, one of the effects, one of the outworkings of the grace of God, if you claim to have it, would be this. You are going to enjoy unprecedented favor in this life. No man can claim grace without showcasing favor. You are not graceful if commensurately there is no quantum of favor manifest outwardly within your life. Now, favor will include the following. Preferential treatment. Who'd like that? Come on, yes, my hand. I'll be saying double, double amen, brother. <laughs> you know, I want that. <laughs> right? Who wants preferential treatment? Right? Right? Who wants an advantage over others? Who wants to get ahead where your natural qualifications say so far and no further? And people render you ineligible. But God from the heavens looks down upon, looks down upon you and says, yes, Naturally, in the flesh, you could not go beyond a certain point. But I am going to show you kindness. Another, another synonym for favor. Everyone say kindness. Where God treats you kindly. God, God, God likes you. I'm here to inform you, He doesn't only love you, He likes you. I just love that thought. God likes Randolph. I've got many people in Durban that don't like me. But God likes me. Right? When God sees my Facebook picture, my, he says, like, 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 <laughs> ten times. He's, his mind is full of me. The Bible says, how great are your thoughts toward me, O God. Right? I wish God would just do that for emphasis. He must come on my Facebook profile and just, if God starts to like me, let me tell you, this Facebook server will shut down. It will never contain. You know, you know when you like something on Facebook, it's tantamount to saying amen. A, like, a Facebook like is equivalent of an amen. I agree. Yes, say it. I'm telling you, if God starts to like your Facebook pic, it'll be so intense. David said, how vast are the sum of your thoughts toward me, oh God. He said, if I were to try and attempt to count them, they are more in number than the sand of the sea. In Psalm 139, he says, such knowledge is too much for me. Even this brain cannot comprehend how you feel about me, God. God's mind is full of you. Therefore, he's mindful of you. There's not a time when in the mind of God, you don't feature prominently in his thoughts. You are not forgotten. Tell someone, you're not forgotten. Right? God is intensely passionate. You know, in the, in the Hebrew, the, the, the images, He revolves me over and over and over in His mind. If it were possible to open up the mind of God, you're going to find Randolph there. Right? David had this revelation when he said, What is man that you are so mindful of him? Right? You've made the, the stars, you've made the, galaxy, the galaxies, but you put this specimen of creation called human, man, and you put him at the center of everything. All your thoughts in the entirety of the creative realm, all your thoughts revolve around man as the center of all your activities. Tell your neighbor, God likes you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I know this is 
this next few weeks, I know the focus is of the law. If I know something, I know something. Right? I know definitively, listen carefully, I prophesy to you, God's going to start to favor you. He's going to show, it's not like he's bragging, but he's going to show others just how much he likes you. Right? It's going to be demonstrable. One of the definitions of favor is special standing with the person. You enjoy not just standing in the light of someone, but you enjoy special preferential standing, privilege, and the Greek karas also says acceptance with someone, where they would ordinarily would dismiss and push away others. But when you come on the scene, you are accepted. Like when Esther came before the king, the Bible says, and Esther found favor. And he extended the scepter, remember? And she came forward. She came unsummoned. She broke all the rules. It wasn't fit for her to just approach the king. No human does that in Persian kingdoms. You only approach the king when you are summoned. She approaches him uncalled for, unsummoned. But he extended the scepter. And he, the Bible says, he looks at her and he recognizes grace. Now, I want to encourage you with this church. Listen carefully. When the grace of God is in you, the young people must listen very carefully. Young people, if you understand what I'm speaking about now, you won't have any anxiety about your future. You will study, yes, in your chosen field of occupation. You will do the best that you can do. You will be diligent. You will be excellent in all things. But there's a dimension that you're going to have to focus on, and that's grace in your life. Because your talent and your, your, your intellect is going to get you so far and no further. At that point, you are going to need the favor of God to rest upon you. Favor rested upon Joseph. I'll talk about Joseph if we get there in a while. Favor rested upon David. Favor rested upon Daniel in Babylon. And even governmental authorities took a like into him. Right? And afforded him privilege, advantage over others. <coughs> Excuse me. Right? Where others were rejected, these brothers were accepted. Luke 2.52 says the following. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. Now, it says here, <clears throat> he, the word favor there is charis, translated grace. You would not be wrong then to quote the verse like this. Jesus kept increasing. And remember the word increasing is propkopto, which means to deliberately cut a way forward, implying human endeavor and human effort in a thing. Right? He deliberately cut a way forward in four areas. He grew in men mentally, cognitively, in wisdom. The wisdom of God flooded him. He grew physically in, in stature. One thing I forgot to mention last week, but on the CD, the latest CD is available there. I did a studio broadcast uh, to fill some of the gaps in last week's sermon. That's why there are five sessions on submission on your table. There I discussed how Jesus was not called only the carpenter's son. But he was also called the carpenter of Nazareth. When you say he's not just a carpenter, he's the carpenter. It means there was no better carpenter in Nazareth than the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph, his father, was a carpenter. They call him the carpenter's son. And when you track the development of this, he, he migrates from being called the carpenter's son to the carpenter. He even outpaces Joseph in his carpentry skill. Would like to buy a table made by Jesus. That must have been a, wow. <laughs> buy a chair made by the Son of God. Yeah, natural to his, his disposition. Everything he does is with absolute excellence. So before he was the spiritual Son of God, he was a businessman. And he excelled greatly in that. Right? He had to be physically fit. You know, I don't like some of these pictures they show of Jesus. Some weak, meek, mild. I think you, if I were to portray him, I'd put some biceps on there. 
I'll put some shoulders, some lats, right? some, some quadriceps, some good calves on the Son of God. To be the carpenter, you've had to have, have worked for 30 long years before your heavenly Father said, now is the time. Who could endure the gruesome nature of that cross? It had to have been a fit man. He walked wherever he went. Right? I'm just telling this to say this to you. So say this to your neighbor, please take care of your body. <laughs> the favor of God is going to mean very little to you when in your body you can't administrate it. Yeah? Where did he grow? Yes, take care of your mind as well. He grew in wisdom, but he grew in stature, right? Uh, some of you need to start an exercise regime. Some of you need to start walking in the mornings or in the afternoons. Right? right? With the traveling we do, you cannot afford to be unfit. Right? So, you see, your spirit doesn't need this, but your body does. Unfortunately or fortunately, your body needs your spirit to function. Right? right? A body needs a spirit. A spirit needs a body. Okay? Then it says, he grew in, in favor with God and with men. Now, this is how it works. I believe this. The grace of God in a man sometimes outwardly will showcase itself in favor with men. God will deal kindly with you because you grow in, in grace from the vantage point of the heavens. He starts to deal favorably with you. As an expression of His grace, He starts to give you special standing, special privilege in some respects. He starts to open doors that were closed, right? Some of you are going to need favor to work, you know? Some of you are working too hard because you're working in your own sweat, not being reliant on the grace of God. Let me just say it like this. One second of favor can be worth a lifetime of sweat. You, you just need one moment where God's favor is, is, is vests or expressed upon you that could prevent a lifetime of sweat and endeavor to accomplish the result of what you seek. Right? I want, I'm saying, God, I want favor like never before. Right? I need you to go before us and to express and show yourself strong and grant unto us your, your favor. Okay? Do you know the glory of God is recognizable in you? Yes? I taught at length how that the, one of the ultimate intents of grace is to showcase glory. Glory being the exact representation of the nature of God. You cannot have exact representation of God's nature, that's His glory put on display, if substructure to that, foundation to that, is grace. Right? So John 1.14 says that... Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld what? His glory full of what? Full of grace and truth. So, beheld glory, over displayed glory, is foundationed upon grace and truth. The claim to grace will showcase itself in glory. If you have grace, what people are going to see in you is glory. The exact nature and representation of God put on display for men to see in their in their world. Now here's the deal. People, whether they do it consciously or unconsciously, recognize in you that you are a man full of the glory and the spirit of the sovereign Lord resides in you. you will, and please start to take this word to heart. This recognition, I submit to you. I'm not just teaching to inform you of things. I'm teaching to activate something in your life in the next few weeks and months. Know this, says the Lord. The recognition of glory in you is about to become more stark, more apparent, more overt and more obvious by its perception in men. They, they, they're going to look at you differently. And whether they like you or not, they will show you preference because there will be a discernment in them that truly, like the king of Babylon, recognized in Daniel that the spirit 
of the sovereign Lord is in this man. I might not serve his God, but I know the excellent spirit by which he functions is a manifestation of the spirit of his God in him. And the Bible says, and the king showed Daniel great favor. Great favor, right? And then people start to like you. I want to get this mentality within you. People are going to start to like me more than they've ever liked me before. The liking is not just going to be for a perception about you. Then they will show you favor. They will grant you the tender in your business uh, when you are least likely to get it in the light of every other competing business. You know some people, please, we must migrate from car park favor. You're driving, there's no parking. The place is full. You're frustrated you get there. Suddenly so-and-so reverses out and you say, Thank you, Lord, you favored me. I am blessed and highly favored. The Lord got me a car park, uh, my car parked. Parking. That is just like niggy, niggy, niggy. It's like a, the, it's the sign, the incipient stage. Sometimes God does these basic things just to fuel your faith. I am encouraging this house. The quantum and the quality of favor that God is about to bestow upon us has nothing to do with finding a parking. you got to prepare yourself for governmental favor. you got to prepare yourself for occupancy of positions and, and roles and functions which, when they are presented to you, scare the hell out of you. And you say to yourself, who me? God says, like he said to Gideon, yes, you mighty man of valor. And he says, I'm the least. God says, yes, you. You know what? When, when God came to Mary and God said to Mary, you are not just favored. You are highly favored. I don't want just the favor. I want the high favor now. Every Hebrew girl looked to the prophecy of Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a son is born. For unto us a, a child, a son is given, the child is born. The government, every Hebrew girl in the New Testament and beyond and before that longed for the privilege of being chosen as the vessel that will ultimately carry that babe in a womb. You read the commentaries of theologians and historians of that time. It was like, Commonly spoken about, is it me? Is it now? Is now the time? Perhaps it's one of us. Right? And here's this ordinary girl, Mary, passing the time, doing a business. And God comes, rocks up at her door one day through an angelic visitation and says, Rejoice, Mary. Let me read you the text. Luke, can we read the text? I want to activate your faith to come back for the next few weeks. Because I will show you biblical precedents and principles that unlock this kind of favor I'm talking about. Okay? Luke 1.26 Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee. A city in Galilee called Nazareth. Remember Nazareth from last week, right? To a virgin. Everyone say a virgin. That for me tells me I must keep myself pure. Favor does not come to those who are not committed to personal purity. Tell your neighbor, keep yourself pure. On the, on the, on the table there, there's a series called, we did the Passover, where I painstakingly taught on pristine personal purity. You see, God... A virgin in this context indicates personal purity. And particularly, specifically, sexual purity. I want to encourage us, church, keep yourself sexually pure. All of you. Don't mix and don't compromise on things when it comes to your sexuality. Young people, refrain from premarital sex. Keep yourself pure. 
Huh? Everyone say yes. Huh? Compromising, these are biblical principles. You keep yourself pure. Right? You don't flirt and you don't entice by specific behavior that borders on flirtation. Tell your neighbor, keep yourself pure. You see, God is not going to just... You see, you would say to Mary in a moment, you are favored. But he's coming to a specific quality of person. You know? People say there's nothing we do to earn the favor of God. I disagree completely. You examine all the biblical characters. The favor that God chooses in this context is not unmerited. It's merited. Right? God comes to you because of your commitment to purity. Okay? So we keep ourselves pure at, keep your, keep your imagination pure. Keep your, your fantasy life pure. Keep your thought processes pure. If ever there's a time to be ruthless about maintaining your personal purity, it's now. Right? If you cannot restrain yourself from visiting certain sites on, on, on your computer, set up regulatory principles in your security item on your desktop that will be impossible for you to break. Do whatever it takes. Keep me away from these things, God. You know what David said? Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. For then I will be innocent and free from great transgressions. Next verse. Let the words of my mouth and the, the, the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. Okay? Hallelujah. Yes. Every husband should have access to his wife's WhatsApp messages. Every wife should have access to her husband's WhatsApp messages. I'm picking up something here in the Spirit. There should be no clandestine messages. There should be no secrecy between you and another person of the opposite sex. Where you are afraid to divulge the content of communication to your spouse between you and that person. In marriages, everything must be clear transparent and above board so stop that nonsense tell you never stop that nonsense <laughs> i'm very serious so i'm trying to make light of this i'm saying you know i'm saying mary mary god is coming to you you've maintained your virginity and this is not a, a i'm not casting aspersions here to anyone um, who has broken protocols or principles relative to Biblical standards regarding your sexuality. Let me tell you, God is gracious. God is extremely merciful. And I'm saying if you've been the recipient of the mercy of God, now that you know, start to carve a new path forward for your life. Yeah? Tell someone it's a new day. You know, I want to say this, this is a new day, new expectations. New, you know, God is not going to give great things to, people, to impure contexts. Right? Purity is paramount for me. Maintain your purity at, at, at all costs. Right? I told you last week of the one lady that wanted me to counsel her. She said, would you counsel me? My immediate response was, I don't counsel any female unless my wife is present with me. No matter how valid the need is, you're going to have to wait until my wife is here. Right? What am I doing? I'm putting principles in place to safeguard myself yeah yeah Amen. don't think you are so strong you can woo off any temptation the bible says him who thinks he stands must beware lest he falls right i like what dr segi said erect your parapet set up your protective mechanisms around your life that protect you from falling okay hallelujah yes. amen so, okay, I got a bit sidetracked, but that was of the Lord. Maintain your personal purity. Then it says, watch, where are we? A virgin engaged. The King James says, espoused. So she was betrothed to, to, to Joseph. They weren't married yet, but they were like, you know, and the concept of a Hebrew Jewish engagement is very different to what we know of engagements now. Now we can engage and we can disengage. No problem. The, the, the concept of a Hebrew engagement was, 
It was literally tantamount to the marriage. Right? It was so intense. It was unbreachable, unbreakable, invoidable. It had to, you had to see the logical process through. You know what this tells me? You know, they say, they say she was at least 16 years old. The mother of our, of, of our Lord. And all this is taking place. The young, tender girl. The word engaged tells me she was committed to relationships. Come on, there's another clue I'm giving you. You want the favor? Show greater loyalty, commitment to God-discerned relationships that He has brought to your life. To violate a joining that God has dealt sovereignly and has installed or installed or initiated in your life is to treat the relationship sacrilegiously or irreverently. So, you know, relationships are so casual and flippant today. We can engage and disengage. You commit and then you, you, you step back. Today, the Lord is calling for, if you say, for example, to me, Randolph, I'm your spiritual son in Christ. I'm committing. I'm engaged. I'm not disengaged. I'm in it. Like I said earlier, we're going to push the purposes of the Lord together. Okay? So tell your neighbor, be engaged. Be engaged. It's an engaged, it's a pure engaged person. Whose name, okay, is engaged to Joseph, right? Who's of the descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay. Coming in, he said to her, greetings. This word greetings in the original Greek is not just hail, like the King James, hail or greetings. The word is literally Rejoice. The angel comes, and it's not just, how's it? Not like, how, how are you? It's not that. What the angel literally said was, knock, knock, Mary, right? Rejoice. First thing, be happy. Change your mood. Now, some of you need to listen to me very carefully. Change your mood, right? <laughs> right? I am suggesting to you, some of you are going to skip, laugh, and jump like you've never skipped, laugh, and jumped before. A joy that is going to be equivalent to calves let forth from the stall. Remember that scripture? They shall skip about and rejoice like calves being let forth from the stall. I want to submit to you, listen carefully, your greatest levels of joy are, is now, is tomorrow. It's just ahead of you. You think you've known the joy of the Lord. You know? Jesus, the Bible says, was anointed with the oil of joy and gladness above his companions. Right? If ever there was a joyful person and a great guy to hang out with in this life, it would have been the Lord Jesus. What the Bible says? In reference to joy, there was no one on the planet that exuded joy like this brother. He was anointed with the oil of joy and gladness above his brothers. I want to encourage you. Some of you need a joyful anointing on your face. <laughs> you must become, seek to become the, the, the one they seek out to hang out with. When they come into your company, your company is so joyful. And it's not contrived. It's not false. It's not pretense. You have an, no matter what you're going through, and joy is not dependent on what you're going through. You can be in the vortex of your greatest trial, but you, there's, there's something in you that is buoyant, that keeps you afloat. You're always happy, right? And they ask you, why are you smiling, but you're going through that? You say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you know what all the Greek scholars say about grace? They say this, Spiros Zodiacs, right? Uh, James Strong, Mounts, Anthea. Four of my greatest Greek scholars of the New Testament. They all say, when the person receives grace, it unwells unstoppable joy in the heart. You can never be the recipient of grace and not be joyful. The first thing that this angel says to Mary, 
rejoice. Eh? And again, I say to you, rejoice, Paul said to the Philippians. Okay? Some of you might say, Randolph, you don't know what I'm going through. Listen, you came to church to hear the word of the Lord. I am telling you, as God's voice to you. God is about to do such favorable things with you. You're going to almost feel, I can't manage the expression of this joy. Have you ever felt like, you know, when someone tells a joke and you really want to belt out your laugh, and you feel if you let go, you will not have the wherewithal to pull back. Because once the horse is bolted, it's bolted, right? It's like that, that inability to restrain the emotion. I'm suggesting to you, I've had a prophecy of my life where a prophet said, and you will be so astounded at the things God will do, and Sean Bluchno said this, and you will well up with joy. And you will actually start to dance. I've been dancing this whole week in my lounge as a prophetic statement. All right? I don't know why they portray Jesus in all the movies as the somber, the quiet. Yes, he had a serious nature about him. But the Bible also says he was anointed with the oil of joy and gladness. Okay? Who can do with a dose of joy? Who can do with it? Do you know when you study the book of Nehemiah? The war was rebuilt, remember? When the scribe in Nehemiah 8, I think it is, or 12, I can't remember now, when Ezra the scribe stood up at the podium and he read in the law of the Lord for a quarter of the day, that's six hours, he read and he gave explanation to the law of God. And the people rejoiced. Then afterwards, uh, they began to do some reformation in reference to the civil life, the actual life of the people. Apart from building physical the wall, they had to rebuild the lives of people and the lives of, of the city life, so to speak. In the Bible, and there was the issue of remarriage, which he had to correct. They were intermarrying with false nations. You know what the Bible says? And they mourned and they were sad and they wept, right? And Nehemiah stood up and says, Is this a day for weeping? No. He says, Not a day for weeping. And then he makes that famous, well known scripture. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah said, in the book of Nehemiah, I think it's 12, 8 or 8, 12. Right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to encourage us. You cannot be moody in the next season. I'm surprised at Christians, how soul-driven we are. The average Christian is more down than up. Is more somber than happy. Is more depressed than joyful. Right? Is more in, in trial than in triumph. It's more in the valley than on the mountaintop. We all go through stuff. But let the prevailing feature of your life be the joy of the Lord was His strength. For what the Lord is about to do. Listen carefully, brethren. I'm instilling in you principles by which God requires you to manage the level of favor He's about to bestow upon our lives. Okay? First thing He says is rejoice. Greetings, which is rejoice. Favored one. Right? The Lord is with you. The word, uh, the highly favored of the Lord or, or favored one is the Greek charitu. Charitu, highly favored. Uh, James says highly favored. Charitu is a root from charis, which means grace. So when he says you are highly favored, he is saying, because of the resident grace within you, I now have come to grant you great favor. Okay? Now, listen carefully. You know, let's just read where I want to go, then we'll stop. Verse 29. But she was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with, with God. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. I want to end with this note. There's much else here. We'll pick this up next week. Is that fine? Right? Much else to discuss. What I want to suggest to you, car park favor is a thing of the past, says the Lord. Now, God's going to show you such favor you are going to be overwhelmed and overawed by the thing He leads you in. 
Now here, please hear me, guys. Please hear me. When this happens, that's why the greeting comes, rejoice. Right? She's resistant. She's perplexed. The angel says to her, do not fear. You know, later on, she will ask a question. She asked the next verse, I think it is. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and his name will be called Jesus. Is that not a big deal? Come on, is that a big deal for a young girl? Right? Big deal. The hope of every Hebrew woman, the lot has fell on you. You're the selected one. You know, it is unimaginable, the thought of having the divine, the creator himself, reduce himself to a seed and put himself in your belly. This, the thought is like mind-blowing. Unimaginable, the thought of even raising the Son of God as your son in your home. Think about the awesome responsibility. So she's overwhelmed by the magnitude of all of these things. And the Lord says to her, Mary, do not fear. Right? She asked the question, next verse, quickly. He will be great, etc. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And just watch the answer quickly, then I'll end with this. Right? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. You might, you know, her question is not doubt. When she asks, how can these things be? It's not doubt. She simply wants details. Like any woman. <laughs> you know the, the, the female thing they want? To cut the onions. Right? Don't just give me headlines. This is going to happen. They want, how is this going to happen? Right? So Mary, typical. She wants, how is this going to happen? You know, the, the Lord said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Child in you will not just be a Holy Child. He will be the Son of God. I'm here to inform you. Don't be alarmed at the great things. Young people, God's going to lead you all into great things. You know, look at all the youngsters over here. I just see greatness. There's great things ahead in store for all of you. And when you are called and the favor is shown upon you, don't say, how shall these things be? For the Lord says to you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It will not be by might, not by power. It's going to be by my spirit, declares the Lord. When in your humanity... Everything negates the possibility of this thing coming to pass. God says, by my power, I will orchestrate and maneuver things to your benefit and to your advantage. It will come to pass by the power of the Holy Spirit. Tell the person next to you, you too are highly favored. Your presence in this meeting today is no... This is very prophetic. I'm more didactic in my approach to ministry. But I think today was very, very... Prophetic. It's a prophetic word for the house. I want to encourage you. Well, you know, I've been saying to myself every morning. You know, I've been praying, like even in my sleep, I pray. I get up. The, the verse, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, has been in my heart so much now. I get up saying, Father, good morning. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. And I'm praying. And then my famous thing I'm saying now is, you are highly favored. Ask Renee. How many times have I told I'm reminding her. Hi, wife. Morning. And I say first thing, you are highly favored. You are blessed and you are highly favored of the Lord. For obviously you married to me. Amen. <laughs> but the Bible says, here's a, here's a clue. He who finds a wife, finds what? A good thing and obtains what? Favor from the Lord. Some of you men want favor. It's sitting right next to you. When I found my wife, I entered into a realm called favor. Yeah? Some of you are dying to get married now. <laughs> you say, I like this expression of the favor of the Lord. Right? You know? Lisa, you are favor. Andy, Lisa is favor of God to you. When you see her, you must say, here comes the favor of the Lord. Dennis, when you see this truly come, here comes the favor of the Lord. Amen, Amen brother. These two are getting married soon. These two are getting married soon. You are getting married. 
to favor. Introduce yourself to your husband. Hi, my name is Favor. Right? <laughs> your husband-to-be. Right? And the favor of the Lord in your life. Right? If you truly understand all the protocols and principles governing marriage, there's a grace content attributed to marriage that will only be accessed when the two individuals honor and love, respect, submit one to the other. According to First Peter, Husbands, love your wives. Honor them as the weaker vessels. For she together with you are partakers of the grace. Grace comes to that context and the favor of God will be honored. Amen. I, I prophesy and submit to declare over all you are married. Your marriages are blessed. And we're going to see favor in your households. Right? We're going to see favor in your marriages like never before. So may the Lord bless you this morning. Okay? May He keep you. May He cause His countenance to shine upon you. May He grant you favor and give you peace. Amen. I really mean that from our, that is the word of the Lord to you. Okay. In the following weeks, we'll, we'll prosecute this matter a bit more thoroughly, a bit more clinically. But today was an announcement of what's going to take place in the next, we'll do this for the next two or three weeks, and much how long it will take. There are other aspects of grace I want to go on to but I am here today, it was a declaration. Today's sermon is simply a an announcement that, you know what, the text today, I haven't got to it yet, was supposed to be Psalm 102 verse 13. That text says this, the time, the set time to favor Zion has come. Tell you, the time has come. That is what I'm about to, uh, uh, I want to say to the house. The time for my favor has arrived. You know why? We've painstakingly taught so many principles governing grace this whole year. God said you've laid the foundation. You've built the principles into the lives of the people. Now they are ready to handle the favor because of the grace they are accessing. Amen. Hallelujah. So you are favored. Come, Laura. Come testify. Where's Laura? Quickly. People are walking in this thing already. Good morning, family. Um as some of you all know, uh, this is my last day in my degree. I am starting to be a foundation phase teacher. And uh, for the last four years, God has made it possible even to be in an institution of favor. I study at Embry. And um, on Thursday, uh, I went to my mentor teacher just for her number to put on my CV as a reference. And what had happened, she had told me there was a post available. Now, I have one paper left on Tuesday, which is a law, a law paper. So I only get my results on the 25th of November. So she said to me, go in, go to the principal and ask him. Now, he's a type of principal that you cannot see without an appointment. You have to make an appointment. So that was, I had fear. I, I said, no, I can't do this. And she said, quickly. Go, go now, go now. And I'm still saying no, but as she's talking, I'm going out the door. <laughs> so I knocked in the principal's office and I said, hey, good afternoon, sir. But the deputy principal answered and he said, do you have an appointment? So I said, no, sir. So I immediately I thought, okay, you know, this is not going to work. And he heard my voice and he said, no, let her in, let her in. And as I went in, I, s I greeted him. I said, sir, um, I heard through the grapevine there's a post available. So he still was sarcastic with me and said, which grapevine? Because those grapes are rotten. <laughs> so I said, the grapevine, sir. So he looked at me and he said, um, we haven't budgeted for you. So I said to him, it's not about the money, it's about the children. And he asked me, so when can you start? Tomorrow. And this is Friday. And I looked at him and I was so overtaken. I said, no problem, I'll start Friday. But can you please give me Tuesday off because I'm writing my paper? And when I walked out, I was, I was so taken aback that I came there for something else, minding my own business, and there a job was offered to me. I haven't even finished my degree yet, and there this job was offered to me. That when it didn't hit me, but as I was driving up the road, I forgot even where I stayed. I was so overtaken by, by God himself. I mean, I wasn't even dressed for the interview. I just had shorts and slops. But I'm here to say that this thing does exist. When you do keep yourself pure, when you, 
You know, I heard Randolph saying that on the hour that you hear the word, there is grace to fulfill it. There's a grace to obey it. And that's what I've been doing. It hasn't been easy. Four years, it hasn't been easy. It's been a great struggle financially, physically, emotionally. But I'm here to say, I, I can't believe it. There's favor, there's grace. Amen. When you're not qualified and you're not dressed, <laughs> and you secure the post, that's not budgeted for. When every factor in your world mitigates against your attaining of the thing, and God looks down from the heavens and says, favor. God can turn the hearts of a hardened deputy and principal in a moment. They can hate you, they can be hating you, and start liking you, and they don't even know why. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it this way and that way. I want to encourage you to start to position yourself for unprecedented breakthroughs and favor in realms for which you think you are least qualified or ineligible. The thing that the angel said to Mary is, do not fear. It's amazing. I'm reading this text in the afternoon yesterday. I'm just reading the scriptures, going over the sermon. I'm reading the same text. And I'm reading, and the angel said to Mary, do not fear. And Laurel comes in walking past, comes, comes home to tell me this news. And it was, the incidence was amazing. I'm busy thinking of these things. She comes in to tell us, I've got great news for you. Right? And the Lord, when she said that, the Lord said to tell this to the congregation. You cannot be fearful about the magnitude that God leads you into. Fear will be your greatest drawback and hindrance. Right? Lamil, you've got a great destiny. You cannot afford to be fearful about the magnitude of the things God is going to lead you into. Right? When they are unveiled to you, step in, not in your own, not in your own um, skill, talent, or known ability. For there's an ability in you that is about to unearth that's even going to amaze you. Right? There's a resident potential, not yet seen, not yet known, but it's going to come to the fore. And know this, there will come a very over-demonstrable, uh, favorable uh, dealing of God with you that's going to unveil to you a realm. But in that moment, the Lord says, like I did to Mary, the thing is going to have global manifestation because the Son in her would save the world. But there's salvation in you for whole people groups. So do not be amazed and do not stand back at it. It will be overwhelming in a sense, like the Raoul says, she was temporarily disoriented, overwhelmed by what, he, what God is doing, I, the Lord is saying to me, Randolph, be mentally strong now because you cannot afford disorientation. You, you must quickly compose yourself and say, let's do the business. Right? Be overawed. That's your destiny. What am I saying? It's ordinary. It's what's to be expected. Right? It's like Peter, they're praying for Peter's release from prison. And he's standing at the door, remember, knocking to come in. And the little girl answers the door. The guys are praying for him to be released from prison in the prayer meeting in the house. God releases him from prison. He's standing at the door wanting to come into the prayer meeting where they're praying for his release. The little girl answers the door and she says, oh, Peter. She closes the door, doesn't invite him in. Okay, it's Peter, close the door. Go back to the prayer meeting. Tells the guys praying. Hey, let me interrupt the prayer. Peter's at the door. They don't believe her. Now, how can you be... Praying for something you don't believe God can answer. <laughs> you know, it's like, right? So I want to encourage you, start to believe for the supernatural. Start to believe for the impossible. Amen.